0: In the air, I become the awe of red or yellow, cardinal or goldfinch, and at times more modest, house red or sparrow, not even a quiver along the branch. Listening to a Scottish
1: Poetry Library podcast. Hello, this is Jennifer Williams, program manager at the Scottish Poetry Library, and I'm so pleased to be sitting in the Scottish Poetry Library today with the poet Carrie Etter. Thank, thank you, you so you much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming up to visit us. I first met Carrie many years ago now, actually. I think it would
0: have been 2011. That's wow. been when we did our launch together really? in London. <laughs> yeah, say five years ago. Yeah, look her now. It's it so does, good. it feels like longer somehow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Another lifetime. Yeah. And we um both have are published by the wonderful Shearsman Books. Yes. And had books come out around the same time then. And so we did a meeting together down in London. Yeah, in Swedenborg Hall. Oh That was lovely. That's wonderful. Wonderboy. I had a very nice meal after. <sighs> yes, I loved it. And coincidentally, I think you also came to the UK the same year I did because wow. I moved to the UK
0: in 2001, which is also when you... Yes, I got here about three years. weeks before
1: 9-11. Me too! Oh my gosh. because so yeah. I, I was
0: about two Cause, weeks. Because it really informed my, you know, the beginning of my staying here, um, of seeing America kind of front and center on the news, and, and people here are also very sympathetic. Uh, my then um, partner went up. To to um, a bar when we were uh, in London at, at around that time, like the day after something had happened, and somebody hugged him. Some guy oh at the bar gosh. just hugged him. So yeah. and that was kind of a feeling, as people were really uh, very sympathetic.
1: Yeah, same, same here. And it was it was strange to come here, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And then just feel like, what am I going to be here disaster. when that's <laughs> happening
0: back there? Oh, yeah. And then trying to, the next time I was home, you know, seeing all the flags everywhere, the kind of repercussions, um, kind of politically and culturally mm-hmm. um, of that event, and having to kind of catch up, in a way, because I'd been out of out of that while that was happening. Yes, And also, uh, we'll talk more about this later, but uh, you know,
1: you must experience this as well, that strange, <laughs> kind of sometimes helpful, but strange way of always seeing your country from a distance, yes. so some things you, can't keep track of it. Some things you see much more clearly, I think, because you are... Because we are at a distance. Yeah. And especially
0: now, you are know, coming up on 15 years living here, mm-hmm. I refer to both England and the town I grew up in as home. Mm-hmm. And it, just today, I was talking with um, my partner Trevor about something, and I said, oh, I'm going to pick that up when I go home. He's like, you mean Illinois, <laughs> or you mean Bath? And I said, oh, I mean home."
1: Illinois, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is a good uh, yeah, way Northern of state. saying. So you are from Normal, Illinois. It's hard to say without
0: smiling. But, uh, <laughs> it was a good place to grow up. Yeah,
1: yeah. very
0: yeah. tame, and also back in the day when I remember going to the bus, um, going to the bus, going on the bus to the mall when I was nine years old by myself. Mm-hmm. Everything felt that safe and relaxed. There are that. many wow. places in the world you can do that no. now, sadly.
1: Uh, and you
0: found poetry early on? Or? I've been writing poetry out of the classroom since I was 11. I mean, mine, lots of bad, bad poems. <laughs> I still write many bad poems <laughs> that never come off my computer screen or out of my journal. But many more bad poems then. But fortunately I found, as I was telling you earlier, I found the literary journals at the university library by accident when I was doing some research ended up on the wrong floor. And I was, you know, there was American Poetry Review, Plowshares, Michigan Quarterly Review, Stand from over here as well, uh, and it was heaven. I had had no idea about that world for poetry. And that got me reading much more contemporary poetry mm-hmm and pushing my own work as a result.
1: Sitting in a library now, we're very yes. always happy to hear happy library <laughs> have, stories have good effects on people. And since then, you have also written many, many, many excellent poems, I must say. <laughs> I try <tried. laughs> and you uh, have been teaching creative writing at Bath Spa University mm-hmm. since 2004. And you have published three full collections of poetry, including the Tethers, which was actually with Sarah, mm-hmm. and was winner of the London New Poetry Prize. Divining for starters, that was the one. Yeah, uh, with well, the in two thousand and eleven. And imagined sons, which is also with Sarah. Oh, that's with Sarah again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have also edited an anthology called Infinite Difference, other Poetries by UK women poets, which was with Shoes in two thousand and ten. And you published short stories, reviews, essays. <laughs> uh, Imagine Sons was shortlisted for the 2014 Ted Hughes Award. And part of why you're here, which is uh, wonderful, is that you've got a beautiful new pamphlet coming out. Just come out? It's just come
0: out. Just come out. Uh, and this is with Shears again. So yes. you've basically got two I, I, do. Oh. I do, I do. I suppose that I go for, for some of the more... I, there's not a good term for it, but for some of the more innovative... Work I do, uh, I go to Shearsman. Okay, I see. And with and not to say Shearsman does publish um a number of innovative poets, mm-hmm. but sometimes different manuscripts feel mm-hmm. to suit different publishers. Yeah. Uh, Shearsman has more of a presence in the states, for example. Oh, yeah. And so I think the publishing the anthology uh, with Shearsman was really good for getting it noticed over there yeah. uh, and having it distributed from, through small press distribution. Mm-hmm. Over there to get it to kind of, you know, attention outside of the UK mm-hmm. um, and bring kind of UK women poets to wider notice.
1: I think that's it's actually really clever, and I'm not sure it's spoken about as much as it should be for uh, poets, especially, to think about is mm-hmm. that you can think about trying to publish different kinds of, of manuscripts with different publishers, depending on what the publishers kind of area of interest and I've never is.
0: felt like I, I, you know, I see some poets who, book after book, they're writing the same kind of poem, and that's never been me. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of second guess myself and wonder if that's what I should be doing as a poet. But till now, each of my books is very different from the last. And then this new chapbook uh, is entirely different from anything I've written before. So I suppose it always depends on what it is I have to express, whatever it is I'm writing about, and then that determines the form. Yes. And so, because actually these poems, Scar, arose from a bunch of individual half-page poems, some line, some in prose, but they were very static. It felt like they were very stilted somehow. And so I started kind of fragmenting them and writing new sections, and through that process, created a whole new poem, which is this chapbook. I would love
1: it if you could read it for us, and I think we're going to be extremely lucky and actually get to hear the whole piece. Thank
0: you for giving me the time. I hope your audience will. (laughs) appreciate
1: it as well. We're in for a treat, so it's
0: definitely worth listening. Thank you. Scar. At my beginning, prairie. At my beginning, a town called Normal. On the far horizon, cornfield upon cornfield splayed, flattened by tornado. Stunted stalks pale as soil under a heavy sun, soybeans submerged in water. But now. Not far. Today. Tomorrow. So here's the White House's fact sheet. What climate change means for Illinois and the Midwest. It's list. It's gist. The volume's rising. More heat. More pests. More disease. More extreme weather events. Tornado, drought, flood, heat wave, blizzard. Oh, Illinois! More tornadoes. One scours a half mile wide path through Fairdale, flattens, twists, curls, homes, cars, a child's treehouse. Its scar in the earth visible from space. Off page, I am feline slink, butterfly shiver, fish glide, I am animal amid. More tornadoes. And if you haven't a basement or cellar, who hasn't hasn't a basement or cellar? Apartment, trailer home dwellers, yeah, you know. More heat waves. And in Chicago, amid concrete, asphalt, heat (laughs) islands. Heat (laughs) islands. And who lives there? In Illinois, am I the cicada gnawing through summer nights? The cow raising its gaze at the wind's shift, the field mouse scrabbling in grain-rich dirt? More droughts. In Illinois, a farmer crumbles earth between thumb and forefinger. And in Egypt, a mother counts coins, reckons the cost of bread. More floods, and the crops drown, go to mud. A year's amount of rain in a month and a half, 25 to 30 inches of rain, one farmer said. It's a wonder we aren't all alcoholics. Into air I become the awe of red or yellow, cardinal or goldfinch, and at times more modest, house red or sparrow, not even a quiver along the branch. More blizzards, the descent quickens, thickens, Less and less sky, tree, land, more and more white in the wind. A low whistle speeds into a whine, a quake in the panes, and now only an occasional flicker of color amid the white throttling the house. In the kitchen, the buzz of the CB radio, he raises the microphone to his mouth. Break three one for Cindy Bear. Cindy Bear, are you there? I, nine, ten, stand in the dining room's peripheral darkness, and watch him flip dials. Switch between the emergency channel and our usual and back again. My father grows smaller. Can one grow? Yes. He grows smaller, he sweats, he calls again, he begs, He says, "She was going to Zairs." He says, "He doesn't say, "Hey hey, hey, this is Yogi Bear." White shakes the glass, and I realize I'm holding my breath. Along the Mackinaw, plant trees and more trees. To shade, to cool, smallmouth bass, southern red-belly, black nose dace. And head northwest to the sand prairies. Make them safe, and the ornate box turtle thrives. Now to find rocky outcrops, nurture oak openings for the slender glass lizard, timber rattlesnakes. And last, never last, and here, and here, and here. The wetlands, common moorhens, king rails, marsh wrens, so they live. The apologies shine like coins in the bowels of a fountain. And I burrow down amid beetle and muskrat, woodchuck and snake, worm and rabbit, tunneling in the shore. More tornadoes, sirens, and the children's stream away from glass into huddle against, face the hallway's brick walls. All those primary colors, so many balls of skin and bone every month the children practice shield their bodies against the possible the apology song with its one shrill note more blizzards snow and more snow until the roads are no longer roads and a helicopter with such snow, such winds, cannot deliver the heart in time. It's true. I bark and coo, swim and wriggle, flutter and sly, snort and screech, an animal Amid animals, and I annihilate, I the world's curse.
1: Did you write it or conceive it as one piece, or did it come in fragments, or is it edited down?
0: Originally, I'd written about... I've I've been doing research for a year or more about the effects of climate change on my home state of Illinois. And that led me um, to write lots of individual poems, um, about 20 or something. And I started kind of winnowing and revising through those to look at kind of becoming the first section of my next manuscript they, as I said, they felt really static. They felt a bit stilted um, as individual poems. And I don't know quite what happened um, to spur it on, but one point I just thought, okay, I'm going to take this, um, and some pieces are just written for the poem, but I took parts of some of the poems that I'd already written and wrote new sections to create all and that's the strange genesis <laughs> of scar but I'm at least now i'm finally satisfied with it i was really not satisfied with the way i think it's very important with poetry political poetry that's not didactic that's not preaching or it's not going to be convincing and to try to have be persuasive but not just be informational I think that's the thing that was happening in these research poems, having not really used a lot of research in my poetry before, mm-hmm. was that they are feeling very information-y, and had lost, by that way, some of the spirit of poetry, some of the lyricism. And so I had to do something to kind of find the lyric again.
1: Because actually, it's interesting you use that word in particular, because, you know, the whole introduction, I would call it, almost, mm-hmm feels quite environmental and you get that yeah. real sense of you know the earth and the environment. But then it becomes so personal mm-hmm. to the point of you're actually drawn into this very, it feels like quite an intimate narrative. And that's where I I, I thought oh, I'm being invited into the heart, the home, something mm-hmm. very personal. But that's also where you deeply connect with, with it. I, I
0: had, I showed this to a few readers and one, uh, recommended getting rid of the blizzard section because it stood out as the most personal but actually that for me is kind of the center of gravity that locates the emotion, is the one place where it is personal and everywhere else it's a more generalized narrator but I think that that element there charges the emotion oh, for I the love rest of the poem <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did but yeah I mean I, I, I think it really um, I think without it You know, there's some. You'd feel some emotion, but I don't think you'd quite feel it so deeply without that connection to an individual. At least that for that one moment, that one section. But yeah, I think that it's exactly what you were saying. It's so important when we talk about these
1: big global issues, Mm. which are affecting all of us and our future race on a huge scale. Is I think it it is so important to bring it back to the
0: personal because Mm. if we.
1: Who can understand? You know, yes, I think that's the thing though, a lot of people are so overwhelmed
0: and they feel like they can't do anything as an individual and they don't also don't think about it in individual terms. And I think if they thought of it more in individual terms on how this is changing the environment around them and the rest of it, um, more people might be proactive. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts
1: about writing political poetry, or poetry that has a, you know, do you feel you want it to have
0: an effect, to have a message for people? I think I love successful political poetry. For every successful political poem I've read, I've read another 20 that are not. I would like to, and I feel an obligation, to write political poetry, but you know if it's going to be effective, it has to stand up as poetry. It has to work you know as a work of art, first and foremost, and the politics is important to it, but it's not going to be it's not going to work politically unless it works as art. I think that's the what i've come the conclusion i've come to I think that's absolutely
1: right because if people want to just get information, they'll go somewhere else yeah. if they want to. Your politicians talk, yes. go somewhere, so there are other
0: platforms for those yes. kind of messages. And but I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by um, the amount of, inf- especially you know, the information age and how much information they get. And there, But there are other ways that people can process that information that can be more effective. I just came from uh, Parliament, the Scottish Parliament, where they have the World Press Photo Exhibition which is something I try to catch every year at the South Bank in London. And there are many pictures of, you know, intimate pictures of the refugee crisis that talk about individual families or different parts of the route. There are other political stories about um, the policemen in in Brazil and the kind of power they wield over the favelas, the kind of uh, slums there, and the the homicide rate. But by seeing them in pictures and having a little narrative that gives the explanation behind them, I find I feel much. It feels much more immediate um, experience of some of these things going on than what I've read in, in the news or you know seen on TV. And so that in that case, so for kind of photography's ability to communicate um, the the human drama perhaps more effectively than words mm. um, but I do think yes art has wonderful has many contributions to make to the political conversation and, that, and poetry for instance this this poem do you think of it as one poem or as I do a I do mm. um, I, I certainly didn't at first mm. um, but yes it's, it's just kind of a poem with each section being a new page it felt to me like a, a poem um, I mean, it is montage-like mm-hmm. in the way it works. And that's mm-hmm. one reason, we'll, you know, think about the recording. Some of the kind of jumps from section to section are going to be more jarring hearing it than seeing it on the page. But I'm hoping it'll work. Yes, uh, for me,
1: it was wonderful to hear it because it, it worked just as well. But yeah, it's a different experience because it, actually when you look at it on the page, uh, some of the parts of the poem are even one, yes. one line, for instance, on a page. And that's something we were talking about is This, it sounds like, is maybe a more recent development that you've been writing
0: longer pieces. Yes, that's only been happening... um, I've only been writing poems that go over a page and a half or whatever for... And most of my poems, up until recently, have been about half-page length. Wow. And suddenly, with this manuscript, uh, the poems are... Most of the poems are exceeding three, four pages. And so trying to organize this manuscript with very different <laughs> kinds of poems is proving greatly frustrating. <laughs> but I hope that just as with the individual poems that came to make Scar, I'll work my way there in the end. It's,
1: it's a really different game though, isn't it? Because I think a lot of, a lot of the poems we see in contemporary poetry, mm. experience in magazines, are often very particular size yeah. and shape. So just to to let yourself loose on. A, I want I one thing, things. I think
0: the way it happened is that my all of my long poems are composed of short sections. But by using a number of short sections that show different aspects of, of a situation um, or a place, it creates a kind of montage effect. So it's not kind of your typical long poem where you have one column going on for pages. None of the, none of the sections, in this or any of the other poems are more than a page and some of them as you said are a single line uh, but still need to be a section of themselves because the voice and the purpose has entirely changed for that moment
1: and would you because Montage is an interesting word for it do you think there is a for something like this which maybe has an element of reportage or Mm -hmm. you know that Montage something about filmmaking that Mm. this form gives you a way of. Many, many angles, yeah, filming.
0: Yes, I think that's I think that's right mm-hmm. because I mean a couple of the poems, uh, the longer poems are about different experiences of weather in my hometown. So one's called Come Summer, uh, and explores everything from the practice of detasseling, which teenagers did. to, yeah, no, oh, that's a new word. Was a new word in my workshop what as does well. That mean? Um, Every year you have to remove the tassels from some of the of the stalks so that they crossbreed and produce more more yield. Oh. And so when I was growing up as a teenager, the kind of good money summer job was detasseling. But you would be out there, you have to because of you might get scraped up, you would be in you know gloves, you know, long trousers. Mm-hmm boots, you know, full gear in 80, 90 degree oh, heat and humidity in, so the cor- cor- um, in the corn fields, oh. um, doing this oh. some from the back of a truck or standing, oh, wow. and I interviewed a nephew of mine who did it because I wanted to include that experience as part of the poem because that is a part of a lot of teenagers' lives uh, where I come from, and so, you know, that's one little section, um, and then another one about fireflies coming out at night. It's something I really missed living here, but something I grew up with uh, as a child, you know, fireflies in summer, was part of the wonder of the season. And so that's another section. So by creating different sections around different kind of uh, associations between summer and Illinois, create a kind of montage effect that hopefully is also filmic and gives people different glimpses of what it is to grow up in in such an environment.
1: Talking about with this this kind of form as well that I think is interesting is this idea of of how you're economical even in your Mm -hmm. stretching out. So again, I think the choice of language that you use is it's so it feels so carefully chosen Mm. and edited and honed. I mean, I don't it really feels like there's not an extra
0: word in there at all. That's wonderful. And but it did come because. You know there were I don't know how many, like I said, maybe 20 or more columns. Some of them, there's no connection to what's in here at all. And then other sections were written fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, all the ones in brackets were written fresh for, to um, work in this as a single mm-hmm. poem. Yep, yep. And then there are these like
1: those flashes of color with the dark. birds, like just leap out at you. There's so that's lovely. one of the things about
0: you know the the prairie landscape and the big sky too is that when color comes into it, it does feel very sudden, just like you know the flash of a firefly in the mm-hmm. dark.
1: And there are some other um, things I noticed that again I think in this context becomes really important. These kind of decisions, moments mm-hmm. when certain words are italicized yes. or spaced in a particular way. And I was just curious to hear you talk a bit about how you make those kind of decisions, because I think it is actually, and again, it's funny because when you're hearing something, in this case, as people are hearing through the podcast, you can't see that, but maybe you've read it in a way that brings that type of hope. (laughs) But when you see it on the page, it's it's quite a powerful effect, and I, I think it's, Especially, you know, for, well, I wonder about these things all the time, mm. still, like punctuation, italicizing,
0: Good how sure. do you decide? It's really important. Um, I, I think that when you start working with kind of the page as an open field, it's going to be, you just as when you start writing regular line poetry, it's going to be clumsy at first. But then you start to think about how do you want somebody else to experience the poem, and what do they, you want them to associate together and then have a leap, a connection between the next thing, kind of like a trapeze swinging back and forth among the words, um, so that people experience this moment. And then you swing over to the right uh, side of the page and add that. And what does, what effect does that create? And I suppose it's reading, you know, books upon books upon books, where the, the poems are fragmented or use the pages in an open field that would be necessary to kind of get to. This point, I I think of you know, my first chapbook back in 1998 um, and the way it used spacing on the page and I look back at it and think oh that's that's clumsy <laughs> I could have done that better I could do that better now I'd rewrite it like this mm-hmm. but so part of it was kind of imagining the the way I wanted the reader to experience it um, the kind of pacing of it uh, so that it didn't feel you know, so condensed that you were sludging through. That you never feel plodding. To give enough space around the words, that it gave a sense of the pace in which you should read the poem and the way that um, you might experience the, the different phrasings. Mm-hmm. You can
1: kind of move through it. But I think if it had, funnily enough, the space it helps with keeping it moving. Right? I think it's so. the other way around. You know it it opens it up and it,
0: you're kind of really curious to get to the next bit. So well, this is one of the things about those, yeah you know, that come summer poem, you know, even though it's in small sections with asterisks between, you know, I looked at it kind of with, you know, running all the sections together as one poem, and it just felt too, uh, it, it felt like it disabled the poem. But when I had this, the ind- independent sections and allowed them each their own page, in a way I couldn't have in a magazine yeah. for the most part, suddenly the poem felt much airier and, and much more um, pacey yeah, because yeah. of that extra space. Mm. And this, yeah,
1: the blizzard section, I think one of the things I was struck by was that moment when the father, my father, grows smaller. Mm. And then and you get this effect of physically sort of shrinking and moving away from someone. And There's just a wonderful detail here in how it's put on the page where there mm. are, um, what do you dashes the long, and taps, the and long dashes? dashes. And then some words are italicized, and you get a sense of dialogue, and somehow it's all set out in a way where you really feel this. Part. It's like you're losing this person in front <laughs> of you. It's it's very. That's poetic. good. I mean, I I
0: I one of my words I use most commonly when I talk about the effects I'm trying to create with poetry mm-hmm. is I want the reader to be able to inhabit the poem. That mm-hmm. that's really the joy of sharing your poetry. Mm-hmm. Is We are all independent consciousnesses, and we can only know so much of what it is to be each other. But if you read another person's poem or piece of writing, and you start to get the sense of the nuances of their thinking, the way they connect ideas, the pacing, it feels like one of the most intimate experiences you could have, That, that kind of experience of somebody else's consciousness. And so if I can create that on the page, that's the act of communication.
1: I guess that is, that is one of the things that I always think is so distinct about poetry and mm. to go back to the why would you why would you use poetry as a mm. political way, way of conveying political information or, or ideas is exactly that. Mm. Because when it's working and when you're using the way the words are placed on the page, for instance, to literally get your voice into someone mm. else's head then that's
0: such a deeply, deeply intimate way of communicating with mm-hmm. someone. If someone can yeah. inhabit a poem and understand why somebody thinks the way they think, even if it's different from the conclusions they would come to, mm-hmm. that's that. you think about that in political terms, and that's huge. Yeah, and We're trying to do that all the time, persuading each other of different arguments, different ways of seeing the world, and thus how we respond politically. And a lot of it, you know, when it's reduced to kind of mere rhetoric, it doesn't have it doesn't have that power. But when you take the quality of language, the use of the page, um, you know, all the techniques of poetry, the music of it, um, and the way spacing can affect the music as well, then I think that that can be so much more persuasive, mm-hmm. on a, and on a much more kind of intuitive level.
1: And you you use a. Phrase here and I, and I love it so much. It really caught me. It's in this burrowing and tunneling section, and and it's tunneling in the shore. I was so curious if that is a word that means something specific in the context of farming or Illinois, or if it literally means like interest, tunneling into certainty. Or
0: I suppose it was a sense. This of... is one of these naughty
1: questions that <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky to be able to ask the poet oh, about. Uh-huh. I, I tried in the
0: sections and brackets where I identify with different animals. Each one is a different kind of animal. And I realized I'd had kind of land animals and then the birds and then kind of going underground. And so I suppose it's, yeah, that kind of relationship to the world where you're not second guessing, you're not. Mm. Um, I think of Charles Simic's poem, The Church of Insomnia, where, you know, there's this whole congregation and The minister is trying to help them sleep by reading the soporific um, sermons of Jonathan Edwards. But the poem ends, the cat with the mouse in its mouth is only passing through. And I had to read that a number of times, but what I realized was, well, cats of course don't experience insomnia. If anything, they're associated with being one of our sleepiest creatures. And it's because if their desires are met, that's it. That's all they need to do. They're, they fulfill their immediate needs, and they're all right. But it's anxiety, it's being human, that produces insomnia. And so that kind of sense that, ad, uh, that an, a different kind of animal consciousness would come with some benefits. <laughs>
1: mm. You know, we were also speaking about earlier, you, you teach, you work with uh, students on uh, undergraduate and above levels, and you were saying one of the things you try to promote is helping students come into contact with the kind of poetry that isn't necessarily
0: always on the syllabus or in school. Try to expose them, I mean, and not, to, and, and not privilege any kind of poetry over another form so that whatever the student ends up writing, they feel facilitated. But sometimes if they come in, having only read kind of World War I poets and a handful of others, then they think that there's only one way into poetry and they sometimes bang their head against the wall trying to get their uh their own voice to work within that and so when they start reading you know, many other poets um you know lo- you know lots of individual poems rather than collections at first just to give them as broad exposure as possible then you know they come up to me at the end of the class and it's like i didn't think that could be but I didn't understand that, but I really enjoyed it. Those kind I love eliciting those kinds of responses because then they start thinking much more broadly about the possibilities of poetry and finding whatever way in they have they decide there's a way for poetry to enable it. And that, you know, I mean I
1: that line was intriguing for me, and I could have come up with and did come up with possible yes. answers and, and, I, and it's it's nice to be able to, to, to sit here and say, what does this mean? But, but actually <laughs> so, something I think is so vital is that we, you know, tell students and everyone who's interested in poetry that you don't need that answer. You don't need yes. to have the poet there to tell you what something If you, you just have if you take poem.
0: away a, a general feeling from a poem or I mean I think about a lot of Ashbury's poems yeah, you know, if you try to kind of decode do them line by line, you know, I, maybe you could come up with an explanation, but that's not what, what makes it work. It's this play of um, of conversational phrases, of idiom, um, the pacing, the contemporary references that creates a kind of overall sensibility that it puts you in, rather than becoming away with like one meaning. And that's the way I enjoy Ashbury. That's the way I enjoy. Um, a number of poets that people might turn away from because they call them difficult. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy them, it's about enjoying on your own terms mm-hmm. rather than enjoying because you understand every single thing about it. Because something a word
1: that comes up a few times in, in this piece is apology or yes. apologies. For instance, the apologies shine like coins in the bowels of a fountain, which is one of the poem that is just a single line on a page, and in fact, it's all italicized mm-hmm. and ends in a long dash. And this line is just like <laughs> shimmering and, and ah. dancing and vibrating on the page, and, and literally does shimmer like coins mm. in a fountain. And I guess for me, that is you know, I could ask you, what exactly, what apologies are you talking about? Is mm. it personal? Is it environmental? Is it the apologies mm. of politicians? Is it apologies we make to one another and ourselves about our behavior, even when continuing to do it. And maybe it's all those things. me. Well, it's this is the thing about rereading
0: poems, is sometimes I'll read a poem and I'll have one understanding of it. I'll come back to it a week later. I'll interpret it entirely differently. I'll go back to poems that I wrote years ago, especially like poems from my first collection. And I know what I meant, but I see other meanings now. And I like that. Possibility of poetry. I love that kind of profusion of interpretation, and I'd like to leave that as open as possible for people. I mean, so long as you can find reason in the text for your interpretation, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, why? Knowing, I think knowing what the author meant can, if anything, you know, just shut everything down. I hate it when students go back to biography to explain everything because it's just, well, the texts always exceed their author's intent. You know, I can try to do this, but it could have so many more effects than I could have anticipated. Uh, partly, you know, uh, you think about kind of how is this going to be received by a British audience, and how are they going to see the way I portray climate change's effects uh, in the U.S. And I, it may turn out that there are, you know, different word choices that would work differently. Uh, I remember another poem I had where I had the word squirrels as a kind of verb to talk about a tornado, and uh, another poet said, not in England. Um. That, that squirrels would be kind of like candy squirrels, would be kind of a much gentler movement. Huh. Uh, and so it really didn't work for me, mm-hmm. and I found out with a few people. And so sometimes it's just about kind of the connotations we have around words. And not realizing that somebody has a different set of connotations, and that thus yielding other possible meanings. That brings me on to something
1: else. I did just want to uh, talk to you briefly about before we, uh, before we have to unfortunately <laughs> let you go, which is so you are a poet raised and initially mm. trained in America, but you yeah. yes, quite some time in Britain now, very um, deeply involved in the UK Mm -hmm. poetry community and um, online as well, and you're teaching here. And when you write, do you you feel that you are an American poet writing, a British poet writing? Are you both those things? (laughs) Are you you thinking (laughs) thinking about which audience you're speaking to when you're writing, because I think these are such interesting questions in terms of exactly what you're talking about, word choice, you know, and this book is particularly about an American place, so it makes sense to, you know, use probably American, you know, words and terminology to describe that place you're talking about, but if you were to write a book placed here, would you use the British language that you've come to know here? I'd love to hear you
0: talk a bit about that. It's... I find this really difficult because I know if I think about a British audience, it would it would veer me one direction and an American audience another direction because the, the different poetry communities have different values. Um, there's much more emphasis in the States placed on originality um, in terms of both form uh, and content. Here, it's less about coming up with any original subject matter than writing about it um, fluently and precisely. And having every poem in your book being in quatrains would not be an issue, right? Because that's perfectly acceptable. It's a bit more traditional. Um, Mine, and that ignores, of course, you know, a lot of things going on among innovative poetries. I'm thinking more um, of the poetry Largely associated with the prize culture, though that's changing as well. I think, I hope, becoming a bit more pluralist. So I just have to come back to almost ignoring that for a little while when I'm when I'm writing and editing, and thinking about what is the how do I write the best poem I can write, and worry about audience after the fact, and just how I mean with Scar I I haven't ever written anything like this, I have no idea how it will be received It's been nerve wracking sending it into the world because of that. It feels like by all my criteria um, something I am proud of, but I don't know how I don't know how uh, that's going to be received because it doesn't seem to fit into any of those categories very easily
1: hmm. and it's interesting because you you must have been influenced by this culture here, yes. having been working here for a long time. This is the thing is,
0: there's lots of, I mean, I could never have written this uh, work without the work of Peter Redding. I dedicated this to his memory because minus 273.15, um, his book addressing uh, large, you know, all about kind of climate change and the cultural response, I found it, it's also very montage like uh, and using different, re- alternating between reportage um pastiche um, rants <laughs> and, and some highly uh, magical lyrical passages as well um but to say that you know, the the way he gives voice to anger in some of his poetry um, and shame about the climate change situation as well that we've come to you, those aren't things you see expressed in a lot and to be able to write so movingly about such a political issue, yeah, that I think I re- re- initially wrote about that for a conference um, about ten years ago. But I know that's kind of lodged in my consciousness as a model and, and given me kind of permission to write this way. I suppose that's one of the things about exposing yourself to as wide a range of poetry as you can is that permission giving that whatever you decide as your poetics, there's a way to write that to the best of your ability and be successful with it on your own terms. And that does, to some extent, you can't help but feel the pressure of different cultural values for poetry, but at the same time, you just got to come back to what is it I value in poetry and how do I achieve that? Carrie, that (laughs) is beautiful! (laughs) Beautiful!
1: Thing to leave our listeners with, I think. It's been such a delight to to you. And, um, I do this like <laughs> you know, all night. <laughs> um, but I think I should let you go off into the, the wonderful, wonderful and flowery monkey. And... <laughs> oh, I love it here. I love it here. So oh, well, thank you so much for coming up
0: and sending so Thank you, it's been so much fun. <laughs> and if,
1: if, you, uh, if you could, it would be just wonderful to leave us with a, a
0: poem uh, from, uh, this is Imagine Sons. Imagine Sons, yeah. um, this book is, um, explores a birth mother's consciousness through two kinds of poems. There are Imagine Sons where I that are prose poems where I imagine meeting my son once he's come of age and all the different people he could be. So, a baker, a criminal, the delivery guy bringing my groceries, um, Narcissus, even a black olive in my salad. It's one (laughs) of the most surreal pieces. And then the other kind of poem that interleaves among these imagined sons are called A Birth Mother's Catechism. And these are poems where the same question repeats with different answers over time. So, I'm going to conclude with A Birth Mother's Catechism that's the first poem in the collection. A birth mother's catechism. How did you let him go? With black ink and legalese. How did you let him go? It'd be another year before I could vote. How did you let him go? With altruism, tears, and self-loathing. How did you let him go? A nurse brought pills for drying up breast milk. How did you let him go? Who hangs a birdhouse from a sack. In this Scottish Poetry Library podcast. For further information about the Scottish Poetry Library, visit our website at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk, follow us on Twitter at By Leaves We Live, and find us on Facebook.